And greetings, brethren, all over the world. Welcome to all of you to the Feast of Tabernacles 2014. And welcome to hundreds of you new brethren who've just come with us. For we have scores and scores of brand new brethren who never even knew about the truth before and have heard of it directly through this work. And additional scores and hundreds have come with us from other Church of God groups who've proved to themselves where the work of God is being done. So welcome. We're glad to have you join us in this effort to prepare for Christ's coming, prepare for the real meaning of this festival. So we're glad to have you here with us, and we hope all of us can learn even more about the meaning of this festival and why we're here. For we are here to picture Christ's coming kingdom, His rule on this earth. This will be the time of the great harvest of souls when God does set His hand to save the world. Up until that time, as you know, He hasn't. The Feast of Pentecost is talking about the first fruits. And we're those first fruits. We're small now. But at Christ's coming, He's going to begin to open people's minds and hearts and save millions of human beings. And then additional millions and billions will be finally given a chance, a first chance, during the great white throne judgment time pictured by the eighth day, right, an eighth separate day right after this festival. So we need to realize this and be grateful for God's plan. And certainly we have a wonderful opportunity to know these things. For Christ's feet will be on this earth soon. Brethren, I've been in God's work full time now for over 62 years since I graduated in early June 1952. And I've seen things happen in the world and they certainly are speeding up. So we need to picture the wars, the violence, the terrible things that are happening more than ever at this time and realize that Christ is going to stop it and we'll have the opportunity. Right now, Russia is beginning to come into the Ukraine. They've already taken over Crimea. They're taking over nearby areas and they're expanding and Putin is trying to rebuild the former Russian Empire and additional hundreds of millions of people are going to be upset by the things that are happening in that part of the world. As you know, there's an absolute terrorism going on in, in, in uh, Iraq. And the Islamic State is taking over. They're butchering people. And they've had many signs on the Internet. And I've seen some of them where dozens of human beings are being crucified. You see their bodies hung up on these stakes. They're being crucified as the Islamist terrorists move south through Iraq. Most people are not shown that. The mainstream media doesn't like to put that type of stuff up. But it's happening right now. People are being tortured, raped, murdered, crucified as this movement moves south. It's something terrible. And Almighty God is going to stop it. In Nigeria, the Boko Haram have captured and, of course, begin to kill and pillage, no, hundreds of villages and killed hundreds and kidnapped hundreds of women. And now they're beating up on people all through that part of the world with great suffering. In Kenya, affiliates of Al-Qaeda have been responsible for bloodshed that have taken place in cities all over, blowing up people. In Pakistan, more than 70,000 civilians are now homeless refugees from government troops who killed 105 militants in one of their provinces. Canada had a suicide bomber who killed 19 Iraqis and became a propaganda tool. China has this upset. They're fighting and upset and mad at, at, of course, the other nations and fighting over the little islands in the South China Sea. And they're increasing great tensions between China, Japan, 
and other nations in that part of the world, there may be a war there before it's all over because we have pledged our support for the Philippines and for Japan. And then there's Syria, Yemen, Egypt, Turkey, Iran, North Korea, and other nations where fighting is going on. In total, there's about 61 countries around the world where violence is taking place and wars, tortures, rapes, suicides are growing, which people are just discouraged. Some are starving to death. This world is coming apart, my friends, more than it has in my lifetime and probably more than any time as Jesus' prophecy is certainly taking place where nations will rise against nation and ethnic groups, ethnos is the word, and they're fighting. These different ethnic groups and religious groups are killing each other all over this world. Christ is coming soon, and we need to prepare ourselves to be those kings and priests that he talks about in his word of God. We've got to prepare. The world needs us. It needs God's kingdom desperately. And most of you, brethren, know that. But we're going to begin to experience that more in this country before too long. And I think most of you realize it. The terrible drought and famine and disease epidemics have not yet hit. They're starting a little bit. But they're going to hit big time before it's over. And you're going to experience it where you are. Think about it, all of you. Back in Revelation chapter 2, we find Jesus Christ says, He who overcomes, verse 26 of Revelation 2 he who overcomes, that's hopefully all of us, and keeps my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's not Christ, that's us doing it under Christ. He, he who overcomes shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the potter's vessels are broken in pieces, as I also received from my Father, Jesus said. We have to prepare to be those kings and priests. That's one reason we're here. We're picturing that time. We're learning lessons of working together, of teamwork, of leadership to prepare us to be those kings and priests under Jesus Christ a few years from now, ruling over this very, very mixed up world. So let's understand. Notice in chapter 5, Revelation 5 and verse 8, it talks about how the prayers of the saints are raising up to God. And there are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying in verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals. For you, Christ, were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and people and nation and have made us. Christ has made us. It's already been done. It's just a matter of us being willing to fulfill what God has planned. He's already planned it out. He's planning a job for you and me. He says God has made us kings and priests. He's made us to be kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign over the earth. Not up in heaven. We're going to reign on this earth for 1,000 years, probably 1,100 years when you include the great white throne judgment under Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. God speed that day. It's really needed now, as most of you know, more than ever. So we've got to train to do our part. We must prepare ourselves to be those kings and priests. And we must warn our people's brethren. Our people don't get it. Out right here on the streets, right outside this studio, people are raising up and down, and they're going here and there, paying no attention. They don't know. 
And God has raised us up to help us get this message out. And we need to get it out far, far more powerfully, 10 to 40 or 60 times more powerfully, so people can know the purpose of human existence and at least have a warning of what is going to happen because the greatest tribulation in human history is about to hit. And they need to know that. They need to understand that. Turn back to Ezekiel 33, brethren. Some of you older brethren know this, but many do not understand it. It's a key thing that Mr. Herbert Armstrong explained to us over and over. Ezekiel chapter 33, Almighty God tells us here something that the church of God, frankly, is responsible for doing today. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land, and that's going to be the great tribulation a few years from now, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. And many of you have made me a watchman by backing us with your prayers, your support in every way, your example, your backing, your tithes, your offerings, your willingness to go all out to help get this work out. They did that to Mr. Armstrong, and now they're doing that not just to me, but the Church of God with a wonderful team because we have Mr. Richard Ames, we have Dr. Winnell, we have Mr. Gerald Weston up in Canada, our other international leaders, and a wonderful team here to do God's work and get this message out. We together are a team. In ancient times, God did things through a prophet. In modern times, He does it through His church. The church is the body of Christ. Together we do this job. And Mr. Armstrong said, we're all part of that Ezekiel team. Say to them, as I live, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. So when this watchman sees the sword coming upon the land, verse 2, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, and that's our job, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, then the sword will come, blood will be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, did not take warning, his blood will be upon him. But he who takes warning will save his life. We hope many, many thousands will understand and repent. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and that means you and me and all of us together, if we see this coming, and I hope we all do and understand what's just ahead, and does not blow the trumpet, we don't do God's work zealously. We don't cry out with our being and our prayer, our tithes, our offerings, everything we can do to get this message out. And even that I at age 84 do not give of myself, I'd rather die in God's service than any other way. Mr. Armstrong, you just said he'd rather wear out than rust out. I hope all of you feel the same way. See, if we do not give warning and does, and the warning does not go out, then if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on, on the head of the man who does not take, does not give the warning. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, verse 6, and does not blow the trumpet, so that's the point. If we do not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood, get this, that person's blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That's me. That's you. We have that responsibility, but we have that opportunity to bail up treasure forever in God's kingdom and God's family, part of the very family of God forever. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
were to do it for the entire house of Israel, all 12 tribes, including the Jews over in the Middle East, whom we need to reach more powerfully. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. We are to warn the people in the name of the living God that these things are coming and help them wake up while they have the opportunity. So that's a big job that we have at our time today beside giving the message, the basic message of the coming government of God, the kingdom of God to come back to this earth, Christ returning as King of kings and Lord of lords, and then to give the message about Jesus Christ being our Savior. He is the way into that kingdom. We have to repent and come to God through Jesus Christ and give our lives to Him and surrender to the living Christ. That's what it's all about, the real Christ who will live His life in us through the Holy Spirit. He saves us by living His life in us. And we must understand that, brethren, and do our part to yield to God, to serve God, to worship God, and to walk with Christ so He will live His life in us. During this festival, we must think on those things perhaps more deeply than we've done in our lives. We must encourage one another, pray for one another, pray for God's Spirit to be poured out in a special way during this festival and worship the Creator at this time. Now I want to turn back to Ezekiel chapter 22, a special something that we're involved in, and I hope all of you can really understand and understand your responsibility in all of this. He's talking here about the house of Israel in the preceding chapters and the verses that lead into this. And if you read the book of Ezekiel carefully, you'll notice and get it from the commentaries. Ezekiel was written about 593 to 585. It was written, God inspired this book through Ezekiel to be written over 100 years after ancient Israel was taken into captivity. So when he talks about the house of Israel, he's talking about a new captivity, the future of Israel after their original captivity, which took place in 721. This book was written about 585, 593 to 585, much later. And many passages of it are talking about the house of Israel, not just the Jews, but the entire house of Israel. Read it carefully and you'll understand. Read again, brethren, chapter 4. And there you will see how this symbol was to be given about the problems of Jerusalem, how Jerusalem pictured, as it describes there, the entire house of Israel. This is the message for the house of Israel, not just the Jews. He says here in verse 10, In you, in the house of Israel, this is us today in America and Britain and Australia, you and men, you uncover themselves or uncover their father's nakedness. Yes, men violate their own mothers and sisters. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Adulterers, adulterers all over the place. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. And another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. And we go above and beyond that. We go into absolute perversion. Absolute perversion with men marrying men and women marrying men, women, a thing which ought never to be, and a thing which will be absolutely stamped out when Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords, that will not continue. That will not stand. Almighty God is a, hates that type of thing. It's an abomination. And you, they shall take bribes, or take bribes to shed blood, and you take usury and increase, 
you made profitable from your neighbors and by neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Yes, people take advantage of others. The bankers, the business leaders crush the common people. There's this big income gap that's occurring in our nation. And the wealthy take advantage of the poor. This is going on more than ever in recent times. That income gap is increasing and is getting worse. People are totally selfish, given to worship money, given to worship that kind of power. So he says in verse 15, I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries, and remove your filthiness from you. You shall defile yourselves in the sight of your nations, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. When we're in captivity, people are going to finally wake up. He says in verse 18, notice verse 18, Son of man, the house of Israel. Who's he talking about? Not the Jews. He's talking about the whole house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, because you have become dross, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem, which is a type of all Israel, as you see back in chapter 8, and we'll be thrown into the fire. We're going to be thrown into the great tribulation. He says in verse 25, the conspiracy of the prophets in her is like a roaring lion tearing the, the prey. The prophets are the false ministers who take advantage of people and they have all this modernistic liberal ideas so the mainstream churches now are even saying their ministers can become sexual perverts. Their ministers can become homosexuals and marry even one another. Men marrying men and women marrying another and calling themselves ministers of Christ. That's an abomination. Really, brethren, that would be absolutely shocking. And I think it is to you older people that would have been regarded as an abomination even 20 or 30 years ago. People would say, this could never happen. You young people think 20 years is a long time. But if you've lived 60 or 80 or 100 years, as some of you have, 20 years is not very long when you consider 6,000 years of history. has been pretty fast. He says in verse 25, the conspiracy of her prophets... The ministers of God are pretending to be ministers as like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They've devoured the people. They've taken treasure and precious things and they've made many widows in their midst. Her priests have violated my law. The ministers of these false churches teach a way of God that is against God's law. They profane my holy things. They don't pay any attention to God's Sabbath. They don't pay any attention to this holy day the Feast of Tabernacles, and have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy and have made no difference between the clean and the unclean. They don't get it. They don't pay attention to what God says. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, plural. The weekly Sabbath they're not keeping and the annual holy days, God's Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. He says in verse 28, her prophets, her modern ministers in America and Britain and elsewhere, have plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing the false visions and dreaming, saying, Thus says the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken. They make up their own doctrines. They go along. They have all their liberal ideas of various things that are not right. The people of the land have committed oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor, were filled with this. But most ministers don't cry out for that. They don't cry out about anything anymore. They just try to go along. They go along and get along. 
They've not reached out to the needy. And people have wrongly oppressed the stranger. They've oppressed the, uh, the other nationalities and ethnic groups in this land. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. Who would stand in the gap? Who is standing in the gap in Britain today? Who is standing in the gap in Australia and New Zealand and Canada and all these other lands? Who is crying out to warn people to help them? I sought for a man to stand in the gap on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Back there, he said he had no one. God help us, Father, to do our part today so that we will be those people who stand in the gap. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the eternal God. Brethren, we are called to stand in the gap. The gap would be like holes in the line in an army, this type of thing where the enemy pours through and Satan pours through and people are hurt, they're deceived, they're misled. God help us to have the courage to be those kind of people who say, wake up America, wake up Canada, wake up Britain and help people know that there is a purpose in this life and that they have to know the real God and do what He says and quit making excuses and quit getting worse and worse in their morality for they not only commit adultery, millions of young people not only live together without benefit of marriage, millions of young people are taught all kinds that it's fine to have oral sex and perverted sex and everything you can imagine, but now even men are marrying men and the preachers are saying it's okay. And our national leaders are saying it's okay. It is not okay. And those people are going to stand before a much higher court before too long. They're going to stand before the Supreme Court of Heaven. And that court will judge them guilty. They're going to have to learn that. And they're going to have to repent. And we've got to be those people who have the courage to stand in the gap so people get it. So they know that something awful is happening and there is a real God and that God is beginning to intervene in human history and human history and help people to know what is right. So let's be those people who stand in the gap. That's our calling. That's our opportunity. And the awesome reward that we're going to receive for that is immeasurable. So we really want to be those people who stand in the gap. Notice back in Revelation chapter 21 now, brethren, Revelation 21, if you would. And I'm going to give something here that I've used in another sermon on faith, but it's a very important concept. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. Jesus says here, right at the end of the, of the book of the Revelation, right at the end of the, of the Bible itself. Revelation 21, verse 7. He who overcomes, let that be you and me. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, those who get into all kinds of paganism and dealing with demons, idolaters, and all liars, people who say God says something and he does not say that at all, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's a terrible punishment on those who won't fear God. God help you and me to fear God, to have the awe of the great God who gives us life and breath. And be fit, therefore, 
and worthy through Christ in us of being protected from these things that are coming and finally being in God's kingdom. He who overcomes. But the cowardly, notice the first thing he mentions, brethren, here, the cowardly. You and I are going to be tested in the years to come. Bad things are going to happen. As I've said before, and I want all of you to realize this, this feast begins. You have an opportunity, you brethren. Some of you are scattered. You're on little groups out here of just five or ten people or twenty or forty. We have a number of churches over one hundred, but many of you are kind of alone. You have a tiny little group or no group. And all of us are going to stand alone at, a, at some time or other in our lives. The authorities are going to come after us. Our enemies will come after us. We will stand alone before God. We will have to put our faith and trust in Him. Just like Jesus said, all the disciples fled. And they, they deserted Him near the end there. He said, I'm alone, and yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. You're going to have to have courage I'm going to have to have courage to go through threats, persecution, beatings, maybe imprisonment, for some even death. Do you have faith? Can you rebuild your attitude of faith during this festival? Can you encourage one another? Can you pray for one another? Can you get better acquainted with one another to pray for your brother, to draw close to the God who gives us life and breath and become those people who will stand in the gap step out there and say, this is enough. There is a real God. And stand up for the truth in every way you can and help prepare for Christ's coming kingdom and help warn your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your brethren all over the world that Christ is coming and a great tribulation is coming soon on those who are not willing to wake up, on those who are not willing to stand in the gap and most important, among those who are not willing to obey God to let Christ live his life in him. Because I want to say again, and I want all of you newer people to get this, true Christianity is not just believing in the person of Christ. True Christianity is really obeying Christ and letting Christ live his life in us. And the best one-verse definition of true Christianity, as I've said so many times, is Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. And actually, it's best translated In the old King James Version, I'm crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yes, we still live. Yet Christ lives in me. So we live not by our own strength, but we live by Christ living in us. The life we live now, we live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for us. We have got to live by Christ's faith in us. It's Him living His life in us. That is true Christianity. And during this festival, we want to really understand that. What festivals did Christ keep when He was on this earth? How did He worship God? Well, the Bible shows very clearly. He kept the weekly Sabbath. He kept the annual holy days. He obeyed God in all those things. And He taught us how to love God, how to love our neighbor, and yet how to have courage when we had to when the terrible religious leaders were so rotten and persecuting the people and putting undue stress on them with all their mad-made ideas, what did Christ do? Read Revelation and read uh, Matthew, I mean, verse 23. You snakes, you vipers, he said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Was Christ mean? No. He told them the truth. And sometimes we're going to have to speak up against this world and their false ministers and their whole false way of life and stand in the gap 
and have courage. Help people to wake up and know that enough is enough. We're near the end of an age and we've got to speak up. We've got to be the people that get this message to the world far more powerfully and give our lives to doing that. So I hope you will pray for that courage and help one another to get that understanding and to gain and grow in that understanding and that courage during this festival. This is a special time. So brethren, bring your Bibles to the services every day. Take notes. Pray fervently to God. Worship your God and try to really draw close to Him during this festival and gain that understanding and gain the faith and the courage that you can be among those people who truly stand in the gap. So we hope all of us will grow during this festival and fulfill our calling that we may be those people that prepare the way for Christ's return and that we may allow Christ to live in us and then we will be prepared ourselves to be those kings and priests helping Christ bring genuine peace to this earth. And during this coming feast, of course, we're going to have the opportunity to worship God and to picture the time when Christ is here on earth leading that feast. Notice now, if you would, back in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, it's pictured what is going to happen. This world is ending, and we need to fully understand. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Your Bible, read it. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil will be divided in your midst. God says, I will divide, or I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off. Half of the city is already divided between the Jews and, of course, the Arabs over there. That's already prepared. That division is already occurring right now. Then the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations. Yes, Christ is coming. He's going to fight against the pagan nations oppressing Israel as he fights the day of battle. In that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ is coming again to this earth. A number of you have been to our festival in Jerusalem or been to Jerusalem for other reasons. You've seen the Mount of Olives. We're not talking about some other planet or something way off some other place far away. We're talking about this earth. Christ will soon be right here. Let that be real in our minds and hearts, brethren. He says in verse 9, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not up in heaven. He's going to be king right here in another 15 to 25 years probably, and hopefully less. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. He will be Lord. He will be God. No one will be able to fight Him. It shows in verse 16 here, it shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and God chose it's going to be virtually all the nations, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. That'll be Jesus Christ at His second coming and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not to go up there to watch the Jews keep it. It says all nations themselves are going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Brethren, you new people, we are pioneers right now. We are pioneers keeping something that the whole world will soon be doing. So we want to understand that. We don't need to be ashamed to be alone. All the world will soon be doing what we're doing. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. God will get their attention. He's not going to argue with them. He's just going to cut off their rain. They'll know better. Christ will be here and all of us teaching them 
But if they won't listen, he will simply cut off their water. If the family of Egypt will not come up to enter in, why Egypt? Well, because the Arab nations will make fun of the feast. They'll say that's Jewish. That anti-Jewish sentiment has been infecting many nations in Europe, many parts of the United States, and certainly the Arab world and other parts of the world for centuries. It's going to end. All of us are spiritually Israelites, and that attitude will end that whatever of the families of the earth, excuse me, is the family of Egypt will not come up. Verse 18, they shall have no rain. God will cut off rain from them. Then they shall receive the plague. See, the second year, they not only have no rain, but they also receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep, not to watch the Jews keep, but every nation will have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Wow, we are ahead of time. We are pioneers. We want to rejoice in that and rejoice that God has somehow called us out of this world to know Him and to have that opportunity to picture His coming kingdom, to have a sense of rejoicing and have special music during this festival, fellowship, dances, parties, as the whole world will. Think about it when literally millions of people, representatives of all nations come up Jerusalem There'll be big processions moving up the hill to Jerusalem. There'll be singing, dancing, parties. There will be wonderful choirs. There'll be wonderful uh, bands and orchestras and all kinds of music. Colored lights. God is not against colored lights. Satan has appropriated that for Christmas. God is not against that. Colored lights and music and rejoicing of all sorts will be all over during the Feast of Tabernacles, during tomorrow's world. People will be able to rejoice. They'll have beauty all around them, worshiping and rejoicing. They're in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The real Jesus Christ of the Bible will be on this earth, and He will be leading us and keeping this festival. God speed that day. That day is coming sooner than most people in this world even imagine. And we can be very grateful to be pioneers, and yet we've got to press ahead during this mixed-up world and do our part to get ready and be those kings and priests in tomorrow's world. Learn God's law. Learn God's way. Study, meditate, pray, draw close to God that you can be leaders and be those kings and priests that Christ described. He has already made us, made us kings and priests. Notice, if you would, turn back now to Philippians in your New Testament here, the book of Philippians in your New Testament. Philippians. And let's turn to chapter 3, brethren, and we'll see something here that applies all through the year, but it certainly applies now. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, he said that those things that were gained to me, he had just been describing how he was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a leader among his people. All those things I thought were important, my money, my job, my membership in this club or society or Masonic or some social club, woman's club, whatever it was, all those things were gained to me. I counted lost for Christ. But indeed, I have counted all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Nothing compared to Christ, the real God who died for us, the real God who's soon coming as king over this earth as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is through the law, the Jews keeping the letter of the law and their human strength, 
but that is which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. We trust in Christ through His Spirit. He lives His life in us. And He'll live the same life He lived 1,900 years ago. Because we know Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That I may know Him and let's come to worship Him, to fellowship with one another, to pray throughout this festival that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. We will be resurrected. We will be there and felt the fellowship of His sufferings be conformed to His death if by any means Let's go all out, brethren. That's the ultimate. The ultimate thing we're called to do. That's the ultimate thing we need to get excited about. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained. Even Paul said that. He didn't say I got it made or I'm already perfected. But I press on. As I've told you so often, you don't drift into God's kingdom. God wants us to go all out. People go all out for these world cup soccer matches going on right now as I speak. They go all out for football games. They go all out for some of these rock stars and so on and yell and scream for silly things, frankly. Let's go all out for the kingdom of God. Not that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind. And certainly we do want to give up worrying and feeling sorry about the things that are behind. Some of us have made mistakes. The church of God has made mistakes. We're human. We don't want to dwell on that, but we do want to learn from that and we do want to keep the truth and walk with God more closely that we may be those kings and priests in God's kingdom, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, we've got to reach forward, have that attitude. We're going, we're going, it's ahead. We just about got it. We're going to drive forward to the finish line. Don't give up and turn aside. Have that zeal to finish the job. So reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. Yes, we've got to drive ourselves, press ourselves, get down on our knees every morning and cry out to God in heaven, Father, forgive me. Help me, guide me, cleanse me, purge me, fashion me, mold me, make me like you are. Help me, Father, cleanse me, as David said, even from secret sins. You read that back in the 34th Psalm. Cleanse me even from secret sins. Brethren, learn that. So we ask God to do that and to guide us, to inspire us, to use us in His work. So we've got to press toward the goal the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We drive ourselves toward that. We go all out knowing that God will go above and beyond what we can do. I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. Christ will do it if we will go all out. And we press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are mature, if you're really a mature Christian and understand His calling, Have this mind. Understand this basic truth. And if anything, you may think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. He will reveal that that is the ultimate purpose. So brethren, I'm not going to keep you long. This is the opening night. Some of you had a long drive or flight to get here. So worship God. Draw close to God in this festival. Pray every day. 
on your knees before God. Don't let yourselves get out of that motel or hotel room or whatever before you pray to God on your knees. Study the Bible. Take notes. Drink in of God's Word. Think about it all the time in a special way. Don't just go out and have fun. It's nice to have a vacation, but we're not here to have a vacation from God. We're here, brethren, we're here, young people, to draw close to our Creator, to worship Him. We're to keep this festival to honor the God who gives us life and breath. So let's do that and let's draw closer to God and prepare ourselves so we will have the strength. We will have the understanding. We will have the faith and courage to be those people who stand in the gap and who prepare for God's kingdom and that we through Christ in us can be prepared through Him and His strength within us to be the kings and priests and God's coming kingdom soon to be set up on this earth. Have a good evening, brethren. Say your prayers. Pray for one another. Pray for God's special blessing on this festival and have a very good night's sleep.